The show is cursed. And we know this because there's a pattern and it's continuing to happen. And if it doesn't stop, we'll have to stop the show. Uh, Alright, uh, what do you mean by this? And what I mean by this is, okay, we did the Star Wars Holiday Special and then Alan Harris died. Oh shit! I think. Oh yeah, I forgot about that one. I actually. Okay, we did Reanimator, and then the director of that died like a week later. And then we're picking House now, and the director of that just up and died. Now they call they call this the cop curse in uh in it's sort of a witchcraft circles it's it's known as the cop curse and you know it's fairly new but we're we're trying to figure out what to do because this ha- I, I don't know because this has to end it does i'm like cuz we're responsible i think what's really happening is that they're uh, someone's giving them the tip that we're doing this video and then when they see how they've you know, they see us massacring their boy, and that's kind of it for them. They lose the. If this, they lose the will to live. If this doesn't stop soon, soon because we did Star Trek the Motion Picture, Gene Roddenberry will die. Gene Roddenberry will die. Leonard Nimoy might die. DeForest Kelly, all you know what they all will pass, and that's not good. And that'll be on us. How old is and shit? That. How old is Shatner? How old is Shatner? I don't know, like 102. He's, uh... Oh, wow, he's 89. Yeah, and he does... He looks worse. Alright, okay. You know what? For an 89-year-old, how bad... Like, what is that... Like, what do you expect him to look like? His body is shaped like a goddamn pear. Like, he's 89. Let's see what your body's shaped like when you're 89. I'll be great. You're gonna be looking like uh, <laughs> like olive oil from uh, f- from goddamn Popeye. I don't know what you're talking about. I was watching I was watching a Q and A with William Shatner at some convention, and um, he's so he's like more senile than Joe Biden, maybe. <laughs> and how? Like, <laughs> like what do you? Like, <laughs> like this girl came up. And she asked him, like, oh, how how should I, what do I do to, like, make it as an actor, yada, yada, yada. And then two minutes later, into answering her question, he's talking about an app on a smartphone that plays <laughs> bird calls, and how incredible bird calls are, and how the human voice uh, can can do more than a bird can. You know, one of the best things about becoming an old person is, you know, whether or not you become actually senile or not, uh, then you can just talk, you can just not talk about things you don't want to uh, by right. by just feigning, you know, dementia. <laughs> I, you, know, I, you know what? You, if you ask me, Shatner is perfectly capable. He's just so, I mean, he's lived a long life, okay? You know, I mean... If I was Shatner, I'd probably be very tired. So I don't really want to talk about, you know, can you imagine what, like, how many people before that lady had asked him that question? And uh, ca- two. Two. 
And can you imagine how many times he gave the same bullshit answer? So I'd probably rather talk about my new app on my smartphone too. That plays bird calls. That plays bird calls. <laughs> and like, she was just standing there, I bet, like, just so, <laughs> just awkward, like, are you going to answer my question? Or... People need to stop asking those questions because it's like, you know, um, like, hey, what can I do to make in this industry? Like, re- like really, that's what you're asking? You're meeting William Shatner and you're asking how to make it in the industry? Like, really? Really? This is the question you're choosing to ask. It's yeah, just, and it's not like just he don't even do made it. it. Just don't do it. Just don't do it. Just don't he do it. He was in one big show and that was it. He's in one. Yeah, he just got a, a big break. And then, like, what else? What has William Shatner been in besides that? I don't know. Uh, he was in some, like, cop show. Oh, yeah, he was TJ Hooker. I forgot about that. And he was in Boston Legal. No, like, oh, he was actually. Well, okay, nobody knows him from that. Maybe some people from the 80s know him as TJ Hooker, but uh, <laughs> I think that's about it. So He was in Airplane 2? Well, we don't talk about that movie. Osmosis Jones? He's in Osmosis Jones? Apparently. Who was he? Oh, um... who was he in Osmosis Jones? He was Mayor Flem- F- Fleming. <laughs> He's Mayor Fleming in Osmosis Jones. Oh my god. We, You know what? Maybe we might review Osmosis Jones. We'll see. We'll see because I think I think at this point it's, it's cult status. Osmosis Jones? Yeah, Osmosis Jones. Yeah, Osmosis Jones might be. Uh, let me see if I can control F cult on the Wikipedia here. Uh, uh, pop culture came up, so I think that'll count. The the voice cast for this film was stacked, by the way. It's got Chris Rock, Fishburne, Shatner, Ron Howard, Kid Rock is in it as Kidney Rock. <laughs> what else you got? You got Billy West. He does uh, all the Futurama voices. That's good stuff. Oh, Bill Murray is in a, also in it, but the, actually now we won't review it. I changed my mind. Can we do a TJ Hooker episode? <laughs> yeah, we can do a TJ Hooker episode. How many episodes are there? Probably not enough. 91 episodes, Christ. <laughs> it's And you know what? 80 Shatner, I can't even imagine how big his ego was. <laughs> that they gave him his own police show, Christ. No, we're not doing that. I changed my mind. How many girls does he kiss in this show? It's probably all of them. He's already going gray in this show. Yeah, he was like 30 in Star Trek. Was he? Yeah, because he was... Well, he's 90 now. Star Trek, Well, because, okay, let's see. He was born at 31. So when Star Trek came out, he was already 35. Oh, wow. He was like an I mean, old- he looked good in Star Trek. He does, but but then you see the motion picture and you're like, oh, this guy's maybe older than I thought. I guess, <laughs> like, wow. Like, he didn't let himself go, but he just looks older. Yeah. Uh, should we mention today's Easter? Nah, who gives a fuck? Well, I guess it's not Easter for when this broadcasts, but uh, it's Easter. Who cares? All right, well. Who, who cares? Okay, well. 
It just it's kind of a joke holiday. Okay, I don't know about that. It's, <laughs> you know, it's uh, it's an important day in in history and stuff. Look, it's a joke. Perfect. It's a joke holiday if all you care about is picking up chocolate. All right, but today <laughs> is the day Jesus came back from the dead. In the... Cool. So today we are not talking about Easter. Yeah. We're talking about House. House uh, from 1997, or shit, 1977. <laughs> also known as Hausu. I don't know what that's called. Like, when you, is that like an anglicized version of well, the, the fil- Japanese word? It's, um, well, the film, okay, the film is called House, and the sh- in the title sequence, it's just House spelled in English. Uh, I think they. It says on the Wikipedia, there, yeah, yeah, this thing called Hepburn, Romanization. It's like when you use the Latin alphabet to write Japanese. Okay. So that's when you get your your Hausu Maku. You know what I mean? Okay. Yeah, I get it. Now, do you want to give a, a brief rundown of this film? So we should, yeah, RIP to Nobuhiko Obayashi, director and producer of this film. He just passed. Very unfortunate, and that was not planned by us. Obviously, we did not orchestrate his his death to coincide with this review, but um, that is a strange third coincidence that we're going to keep an eye on for now. But if it boosts our rating, so be it. Yeah, like, you know what? If it happens, it happens. And, you know, I mean, we might as well make the best of it because, you know, they're not coming back, so it's okay. Uh, let's see, yeah, basically, so Wikipedia has it defined as a horror comedy, which I don't fully agree with. It does, it definitely has some comedy aspects to it, but really what I think this movie is a fantasy horror, but it's not like a fantasy horror like Nightmare on Elm Street is. It's, it's a very, very idiosyncratic film. It's a very Japanese film in its humor and its style but basically what it's about is just about this girl and her name is gorgeous and her dad is getting remarried after i don't know I, they said how many years like five years or something to this new woman so she gets pissed she was planning on going on this trip with her dad but she cancels and instead she takes her and her six friends to her auntie's house her aunt on her mother's side and she has not seen her in years and they go and visit her and hijinks ensue yeah that's probably the best way to describe it hijinks ensue and um and, go ahead and i'll say that and i'll say that okay it's a horror co- it's described as a horror comedy and i think the it doesn't have like um explicitly comedic moments in the way that for example reanimator does but there's a there's sort of a lighthearted, uh, bubbly tone through a lot of the film, and I guess that that is where most of the comedy is derived from. There aren't a lot of straight up like jokes, jokes like the girls aren't cracking wise besides like teasing each other like Japanese schoolgirls because that's what they are. Yeah, and I just want to mention the characters now. So there's gorgeous kung fu prof fantasy Mac sweet. Melody, and then the aunt, and there's also this teacher who 
plays a small role in the movie called uh, Mr. Togo. Yeah, and he looks like the Japanese Mungo Jerry. <laughs> that's very, yeah, that's true. <laughs> so and he, he's he's like he's like a purely comedic character. Like he he serves up he's literally there to provide some slapstick humor and he does some and he does have some funny stuff in there. But yeah. Those are the, that's it's a fair if it's a fairly small cast. Yeah, like there isn't even there are like a few extras and that's that's it really. So you say it's horror fantasy, and I kind of agree, because, well, I mean, there's a character named Fantasy, of course, and the thing with each of the girls is that their name is a reflection of their personality trait. They also have a gimmick. Prof is the smart one. Kung Fu is the athletic one. Uh, Gorgeous, I guess, is just the pretty one. Uh, yeah. Fan- fantasy is sort of like the daydreamer, and she's the one who kind of kickstarts the plot when she notices after they arrive at Gorgeous's aunt's house, that something is awry and there's weird happenings going on. Mm-hmm. So the thing with the film for me is that as a horror fantasy slash horror comedy, um, it's pretty effective in juggling everything. And I actually like this as a horror film quite a bit because as like a Japanese film, you know... The thing you keep you should keep in mind when watching this, if you've never seen a Japanese horror film or any non-Western horror film, is that it's kind of different than what you mm-hmm. typically get. And I appreciated the differences. And a lot of the... A big... A, a small source of confusion for me was... I wasn't sure how much in the film was, like, artistic license from the director, how much of it was cultural difference, because I've never seen any other Japanese horror film before. And how mm-hmm. and how much of it was just like choices they made that were conventional at the time. Mm-hmm. So it's it's an interesting film in that regard for me because there's a lot to talk about and it's a very technically impressive film. I think the thing that stood out to me most was that from a technical perspective, uh, it's very well done. Yeah, I agree. Did we watch this together before? Or no. Sorry? Did we watch this together before? We did. Or was this your first time watching it? No, this is my second time. We watched this like a year ago, I think. Or maybe less. And then we I watched it yesterday. And that was my second time. Okay. I remember this movie came to me as kind of just like a random thought. Like, I, I forget when it was, but I was just sitting down going about my day and then I was like, isn't there a movie in the poster of it is like a big orange fox? I said to myself, and then I looked it up. And I was like, oh no, it's a cat. And then I found the movie, and then I watched it, and then I watched it two more times after that in a row. And then one of those times was, was with you. And uh, and it was it's interesting that um, we noted you noted, and we both kind of noted that. Um, the film is probably even better on repeat viewings. It's one of those films that you pick up on more things on sequential viewings and a little bit of foreshadowing and such. Yeah. Did you um? And also one one more thing before we get into it is this movie's only eighty eight minutes, but they do so much in the movie. To me, it always feels much longer than that. 
it felt the the film doesn't really drag for me at any point uh and because of that it, like it it never felt long for me if it does seem like it's maybe like an hour like it does seem longer than that but that's because um the the sort of pacing of this film is pretty breakneck there's mm-hmm. they're going through like scenario to scenario and especially because of the editing at some point is so fr- is like so fr- frantic um that this the runtime flies by so it's definitely not a film that uh you're gonna be feeling bored in at least so describe describe the editing give give some examples of, of why you liked it so the editing in this there's like it's 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 it there's a lot going on so mm-hmm. you get and as Luke said, you get this really idiosyncratic style. And the thing with the editing is that there's so many different techniques at play here. Just as yeah. an example, you get um, it, it incorporates like slapstick. So Mr. Togo will fall into a bucket and then you'll get sort of that um, that choppy sort of like almost stop motion uh, effect of him like sliding on the ground with a bucket, like chasing after some animal. And so you get a little bit of slapstick there. Sometimes you get these little idiosyncratic moments, like when um, Sweet is opening and closing her eye, her left and right eye, respectively, and she's getting different perspective of Prof, who's just getting her hair done. And I actually, mm-hmm. I especially like those little touches uh, because one of the things about this film is that it, 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 to a certain degree, it feels like a celebration of youth uh, and like youth like Japanese youth culture at least or at least like mm-hmm. and it and especially because upon doing research for this film apparently a lot of the ideas derived from this film were from the director Obayashi talking to his daughter and saying what do you what are you scared of and yeah and with that he took he made he incorporated her answers into plot elements like when Sweet is being uh, suffocated by those pillows that was something that his daughter said he, she is afraid of. Oh, I guess we should mention it for those who don't know just off the bat because we just skipped over. But this is a spoiler, I guess. But the aunt, we find out um, she was to be married, and then her husband got drafted in, I assume, World War Two, and then he died. So she never married. But then her sister, Gorgeous's mom, uh, married, and her aunt. We find out later in the movie that she's died off, and basically her restless soul is still living. And what she does is she eats all the unmarried girls who come to her house. That's basically the gist of it. Mm-hmm. So she can stay alive, or her spirit can stay alive. Yeah, and it's like the way they describe it is um, she died a long time ago, but her body remained alive. So you get almost yeah. you almost get like this this uncanny element there where it's not quite she just turned into a witch or whatever it's like she died and this is some uh, some sort of malevolent spirit like in possession of her or something like that. Mm-hmm. So anyways, keep going about the editing or whatever. No, and then there's so many different techniques that are used. For example, when the girls arrive um, in the countryside, you get like, and this is sort of like twenty minutes into the film, you get like the spotlight. It's sitcom esque, where they are over top, overlaid on top of the screen, 
as it shows them walking through the countryside, you get like character spotlights with their names shown. And it's, mm-hmm. it's like it's like something from the Brady Bunch or something. And it's, mm-hmm. and it's and it's interesting. And there's so many different like there's so many different techniques used. It's like hard to list them all. But really the editing in this film for me was the standout and it's really um it, for me it really felt like where a lot of the like value of this film derives from. It's a good film. I will say mm-hmm. that. But editing for for the editing and especially some of the camera work as well were the highlights of the film for me for sure because frankly I've never seen a film done in such a style. Another example is when Kung Fu, whenever Kung Fu has an action scene, the cuts are so are done so quickly that it's almost hard to keep up with what's going on. I don't I don't know if this is an homage to Japanese like martial arts films or Kung Fu film. But another nice thing about the editing is that it draws from its feels a number of genres. And it feels like the director and editor and such, uh, they seems like they're very big fans of film because it feels like yeah. there's a lot of film influence from other things. And then not just the meta aspects when the girls talk about films or when they go on the train and a man is reading a book about horror movies or something like that. But yeah, no, it's... Uh, it's it's very it's very uh i wouldn't say i don't know if i would say innovative but it's unique for sure well the version i have of the movie which is the one that you have what you're boring mind to watch was the criterion collection version and there was a like with pretty much all of the criterion releases there's a little essay that they include with it and in the essay what i was reading was that in when this came out this movie was fairly innovative yeah and 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 that was the thing i wasn't sure is that i wasn't sure how much of this was uh was like unique to film or if this was a staple of i of of japanese cinema i get the sense that this is not conventionally done in 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 every japanese film but as mm-hmm. as a westerner uh, it was very entertaining to watch, and it was a it was a it was a nice surprise. I will say though, there are times where I felt like the editing almost interfered with my enjoyment in the film. In the sense that at some points, it felt like it detracted from me actually following the plot. Yeah, like it overpowered you. Yes, at some okay. points, but the, but for the most part, it's very well done. Yeah, and you know how in, like, movies they'll have set pieces where the background is, like, clearly... It's a nice painting, but it's still, like, a painting of a landscape or something? Right. They do that in this movie, and they do it in such a bizarre and cool way where sometimes it will literally be a painting, and sometimes they play it off as it actually is the physical landscape. Mm Mm-hmm. Like, there's one scene when they're boarding the subway to go to um, their aunt's house, and they're just behind, or they're in front of one of those landscape paintings, and then they just walk away from it, and it's just a painting on a wall. Yes. And then when they get off the subway, and they get on some bus or whatever, they step off, and they're in front of a painting of a landscape painting that's behind them 
Yeah, and I like those little touches to the film, especially those sort of like faux realistic qualities where it's it's almost meta. Like it almost alludes to the fact that the film is a film, but it yeah. it really lends this nice dreamlike quality to the whole production, which I like. And that's sort of a recurring theme through this. Of course, because this is can be aptly described as a horror fantasy, but there's a lot of elements in the film where you get that, you, you sort of have that, it's a generally happy tone, but you get this uneasy feeling like there's something wrong and you can't quite put your finger on it, which of course becomes more explicit as the film goes on. Mm-hmm. And like, he does cool things too, like you said, with the shots where he won't compromise, like at the scene where Sweet is getting um, like trampled by the beds, they then shoot to underneath the floors and they replace like the floor with glass yeah so they can get like a cool shot and they do a ton of stuff like that which is which is really neat one other thing that is really neat in this movie too is the soundtrack is almost never ending yeah you always get music playing throughout the film and it will like evolve and change at like a second's notice to match the tone like if there might be a calm song playing, but then if Kung Fu has like a little action scene, then it automatically goes to like stereotypical Kung Fu action song. Uh-huh. And they do, and there's this one song, I mean, they do it in like a movie like Brazil too, where they kind of have one main song that they play throughout the whole movie. Yeah. Like the main they, theme. Yeah. They have one in house too. And maybe it will annoy some people who don't like, repetitive music but i didn't mind them really using the main theme over and over again no i like i i like the use of the theme uh it it Mm -hmm. it is it is present throughout the whole film so i guess if you're not partial to that song you won't like it but i mean it's just a small little piano it's like just a little ditty that they play and it and it lends itself well to the atmosphere of the film and you not only get like these piano pieces and such, but you also get like rock songs in the film. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite songs in this film is as the girls make their way uh, through the train station onto the train and towards the country song. You get like this rock song with English lyrics, and it's so happy. I'm trying to find it right now. It's like the one that's like. Yeah. Yeah. And the lyrics are like cherries are made for eating, like fish <laughs> are made to swim in the sea. Uh, and, mm-hmm. and stuff like that is and you get a couple of songs like that. There's a Japanese one later towards the f- end of the film when it's sort of in the epilogue phase. Uh, but the film but the music in this is inspired. Apparently Obayashi did hire a band uh, because he wanted he wanted like a youthful tone to the music. In in an uh, in an attempt to a, uh, not only um, attract like younger viewers, but also to evoke that feeling of youthfulness that that is sort of throughout the film. There's one scene in particular that I thought was really I, it, it pretty. I, I'm gonna say it's meta. They're on the train going to the aunt's house, and they're asking about the aunt, and then she tells like a flashback story of her aunt in like in most western films what they would do is like show 
just show the scene of the flashback and that would kind of be like her telling it uh-huh. but in this movie the flashback is a film and then they're all watching it and comment like doing commentary about the film that was one of my favorite parts actually which is uh, when the girls are just chattering over this historical footage that they have no way of actually viewing and it is yeah. and it is very meta uh, and this is another example of great editing. The film is done being set in early 40s. It's done in a silent film style. So it's black and white. There's no audio. And you get those black screens of text that are meant to show what the um, what the characters in the film are actually saying. So that was mm-hmm. really well done. There was also a small touch towards the end. And it sort of, to me, it was like a nice... It felt like a m- nice microcosm of the mood of the film which is the last thing you see in that little flashback is you see the atomic bomb exploding. Uh, yeah. I'm not sure which one. And Mac, who is the, is the gluttonous one who loves to eat, she said, mm, it's like cotton candy. <laughs> and to me, that's very much the mood of the film, which is like these dire circumstances uh, that are rather morbid, but because they're viewed through the lens of these kids, you almost get like the you get like this naivete factor from the mm-hmm. from the children in reaction to what they see, and you also get like almost it feels like insensitivity to the situation. And of course, the atomic bombings in Japan left obviously huge cultural ripples. You get a little bit of commentary on that, as I assume that a lot of Japanese film in the next few decades after the atomic bombings had. Um, mm-hmm. especially because you get this plot theme where the woman has become, well, the woman dies and her soul is restless because of the war, because her husband never returned from the war. Yeah. So you get a little bit of commentary there if if you're looking forward to that in terms of the effect of the war on Japanese society, on the Japanese people following World War Two. Yeah. Um... And there is like, I don't know if it's satire. I, I, I like to think of it as satire when the characters are like at the auntie's house. The first one to go is Mac because she buys the auntie a watermelon. And this is probably the most iconic scene of the movie, maybe, other than the piano scene. But Mac goes to put the watermelon in the well to like let it chill. And she doesn't return. And everyone's just kind of like, oh, she probably just went somewhere to go eat more food or something. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Fantasy goes to the well and then Mac's like head comes out instead of the watermelon and then floats around and then bites F- Fantasy and then proceeds to like throw up blood or something and then fantasy runs back and tells them about it and they're like oh it was probably just an illusion which i and they do that kind of shtick a few times in the movie which i really like because in a lot of horror movies characters are somewhat in denial of being in a horror movie but in this one they just like (laughs) will not believe it at all like kung fu is by herself and then like random objects in the yard start attacking her and then she punches him and kicks him or whatever and then she's like huh maybe that was an illusion yeah and you know what i mean a big part i I feel like a big part of that is because there's that prof character who's not really the chief of the girls but she's she's the brains obviously and she and she refuses to believe until towards the end of the film that whatever they see 
has an illogical explanation. She tries to give mm-hmm. everything a logical explanation. And, that, and, and I did like that, too, because it does feel... Um, well, it, it works in a couple of ways, especially because fantasy... She's not quite the main character film, but she's she's Gorgeous's best friend. And spoiler, she is like the final girl, as you would say, in the horror film. And I think that was yeah. done deliberately because fantasy as the dreamer is not taken seriously. She's kind of the girl who cries wolf throughout the whole film. Mm-hmm. But of course, she ends up being right uh, for maybe the first time or whatever. But and and I think it, and I think it's very deliberate that they named her fantasy in a film like this. And it also is interesting, and when you and when you mentioned Mac, is that and that's something I noted on the second viewing of the film is that each of the girls has their personality trait or personality gimmick in a very mm-hmm. in a very cartoony way, and each of their demises is related to their personality. So yeah. so Mac dies because she gets the watermelon because she's fat, haha. She's not really fat, but whatever. Um, She's just like gluttonous. Gorgeous dies because she goes to check out her auntie's makeup station because I guess she's very, I don't know, vain. Uh, mm-hmm. And you and you get that kung fu, kung fu dies in a fight, which I guess is maybe pu- pushing it. But you get a little bit of everything for each girl, which is interesting. And it and, and it was and it was a nice it's a nice little touch because it, I think especially that lends as the feeling of fantasy this, to the film where once again, like having the girls be these archetypes and then meet their demise because of that, it really moves away from the traditional horror film and more into the realm of like fantasy, almost like a parable or like a, like an Aesop fable type deal. Yeah. If nightmare on Elm street is, is a fantasy horror, I guess it would be like truly a nightmare fantasy whereas this is almost like a dream fantasy horror mm-hmm. if that makes sense yeah no that's a that's a very apt way of describing it i would say um also i guess we should mention gorgeous dies but unlike the other characters she becomes like the new shell for the auntie mm-hmm. uh and she gets taken over by the auntie's demon or whatever i'm sure this is I, I don't know for a fact, but I'm sure this is somewhat inspired by like an old Japanese folklore or, or something. But anyways, she gets taken over by the auntie and then she puts on the auntie's gown or like her, her wedding gown and kind of serves that purpose for the rest of the movie. Mm-hmm. And we should also mention there's this, just for the sake of mentioning it, there's this cat character in it called uh, Blanche. Mm-hmm. So, and the cat is kind of like the main villain of the movie. Yeah, so basically the cat um, is found by Gorgeous in her hometown. Uh, just one mm-hmm. day she's sitting at the window and it just comes in. Um, sort of side note, it reminded me of the lo-fi hip-hop beats <laughs> girl because she's also got a cat in the windowsill and she's also presumably Japanese. But but I digress. Um, so I suppose she is um, the auntie's familiar, which is like the the animal sidekick of the witch. And you find out later in the auntie's journal that she sent for Blanche to entice Gorgeous to come to her villa, to her to her home, so that she could eat these girls. So that, and that wasn't and it was 
and Blanche as like not like as a prop because I mean she's not a character because she's a cat, but as like a as almost like a motif that runs through the film. Uh, it's very well done, especially when she her presence t- as the film goes on sort of acts it is like becomes more and more nefarious because at first it's just a cat, but then when you begin to realize that whenever her eyes flash green, that something bad is going to happen or something supernatural is going to happen, um, she becomes, the cat becomes more and more like something that you dread, which is hard to do when it's such a cute little cat, right? Yeah. And so Mr. Togo is coming to the house throughout the movie and we presume to come to the aid of the kids. Uh, and that scene where he falls in the bucket, it's because like Blanche appears and just like, you know, flashes. And then he slides down onto this bucket. So it's kind of like the ant or, you know, the spirit knows that he's coming to help and she wants no outside intervention at all, which was pretty neat. Let me ask you something. Yeah. Now, this there's two things that mainly I have a problem with with this film. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this and this, it's okay. The two things are number one. What do you think of the acting? Oh, I have no, I have no problem with it. I think the acting is fine. At first, I was a, I was, I was concerned because this is mostly child actors, or at least teenage actors. Um, for the majority of the film, uh, mm-hmm. apparently Obayashi was not satisfied with their performances. But I actually was I was pleasantly surprised. There are there are times when the girls are a bit like one note, especially because through a lot of the film they're just kind of happy and laughing. Yeah, you don't get a lot of range from them, and I didn't really expect that particularly. Uh, but they convey fear well enough. They can fear confusion well enough. And and especially because given that they're meant to like be these archetypes, it wasn't too much of a bother for me. Mm-hmm. Um, they're not. I wouldn't call them any of them exceptional performances. And I'll actually especially say I think Gorgeous um, might be the weak link in the film in terms of acting. She kind of has like really yeah, I think so. It's like for example the scene in which she finds the makeup den, and you get um, and she she sort of has this blank expression as all of these uh mirror effects and and supernatural happenings are happening around her i was a bit disappointed i wanted a little bit more uh given that she was the lead in the film but I, she does fine and she does a bit better when she has to act like a waif or whatever after she's been possessed but once again she, it doesn't really demand a lot of range from her but overall i think the cast the casting and the acting is is it serves well for the film yeah, honestly, I, I thought Gorgeous might, other than, I think maybe the ant has the best performance for, like, the little time that she's on the screen. I would agree. Um, but out of the girls, I think Gorgeous is maybe one of my favorites. And I think, like, that scene where she gets possessed or whatever, like, she's sitting at the makeup, you know, uh, table doing her business and then, like, parts of her face fall off and then she like completely sets on fire Mm -hmm. it's so weird but i don't know like her being blank throughout all that i feel like maybe she was already 
possessed. I'm not sure. Yeah, I, I if I had to highlight one of the girls, I actually really liked Fantasy's performance. And because she is almost like the pseudo-protagonist in this, I think that was a good decision. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think Fantasy does a pretty good job, especially because she is doing a lot of the scenes. Uh, she's basically doing a lot of the quote-unquote scream queen scenes where mm-hmm. she's just screaming or she's really scared. The other thing I want to touch on is maybe my biggest like my biggest reservation with the film, which is the script. And I like okay. I like the plotting for this film. I like the pace for the film. And this might be because it's lost in translation. I'm not quite sure about the dialogue in the film. You cut out a bit for me. What did you say? I'm not quite sure about the dialogue in the film. Okay. And this might be this might be uh, a bit not quite a nitpick, but I mean this is something that, for example, a lot of people saw with Parasite is that when you translate a Jap- especially uh, a non-Western influenced language to English, you're gonna have some awkward wordings and such as that. But I found that a lot of the time, the dialogue between the girls tended to f- act as filler for me for a lot of the film, and I don't know if you felt that way. Uh, can you give me an example? It's it's basically any scene in which, uh, and basically any scene in which, and it's especially whenever there's a supernatural thing happening in the background that we're meant to focus on, and the girls are given dialogue to fill the void so that they're not paying attention to that. This is very small, but there was a point in the film where I almost wish the girls would say nothing if that makes sense okay (coughs) it just to a certain degree their chattering was a bit much especially because they're always giggling and such it's very small thing but it was it was something that did for me detract from the film i don't expect them to have sophisticated lines because they are meant to be children of course Mm -hmm. but it was i don't know it was especially towards the end of the film when we see some very well, it's, and I want to talk the, about the epilogue later, uh, like the ending scene of the film, which is one of my favorites, and you get mm-hmm. and you get some really well, you get some really well written lines of dialogue, and of course that's coming from gorgeous possessed as a demon, but that was a small thing for me, like when Mister Togo is romping through the country or romping towards his destination, and he's talking to these people, he's making small jokes. Uh, but for the most part, those scenes also felt like a little bit like a little bit like filler. They're slapstick scenes, and they're fairly funny. I don't know, like going, going with what you said about them being like, you know, they're supposed to represent youth or whatever. That them having little filler conversations, it didn't really bother me that much because I guess that's, I mean, that's what we have. That's what everyone has. Just kind of little shooting shit bullshit conversations yes no i i suppose you're right um you could you could talk about the epilogue now if you wanted my favorite my probably favorite a part of the film is actually the ending so after the events of the film had transpired and spoiler alert everybody dies except for mm-hmm. ex- except except for gorgeous although she's just been she's the new host i suppose for whatever spirits are in the house or demons mm-hmm. and this is my favorite scene of the film is when um and we didn't even touch on this which is 
the the at the beginning of the film, Gorgeous's father, who is a film composer, returns from Italy with a new girlfriend named yeah. Ryoko. Um, and in typical stepchild fashion, uh, Gorgeous says, "You're not my real mom. I hate mm-hmm. you." And she says, and then she decides that she's not going on vacation with her potential stepmom and her father. She's going to her auntie's house. Mm-hmm. One thing I like, then this was a nice touch, was that I there's um, the Ryoko in the film is presumably, and I don't know if they ever directly state this, but an actress. Yeah. Okay. I keep going. And one thing I like about that is that she's always wearing the scarf, and she's there's a perpetual wind in her hair and her scarf. Yes. And that does. Yes, that's, that's a, so good. I thought that was a funny touch. I remember when I first watched this film, I thought she was white. She's not white, but she looks pretty white. I don't know if that has anything to do with it. If if maybe if Caucasian uh, looking actresses or actors are favored in the film industry, but. Uh, I really like that touch and a give and that was another that was another like type of Hollywood homage that I really appreciated from the film mm-hmm. so she comes and drives her way down to her aunt's house and it's in like this really serene dream like sequence she sees Mr. Togo we see Mr. Togo's fate which is another great moment which is he'd been turned <laughs> into a pile of bananas because he, he'd been talking to this watermelon guy before we didn't talk about the watermelon guy He's basically yeah. he's essentially the Japanese equivalent of the gas station guy at in the horror movie where he says, "You kids shouldn't be up here right now. <laughs> you're 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 in you're toying with forces you don't know." And they go, "Whatever, old man." Except he just goes. <laughs> except he's so over the top eccentric. They Mac picks up a watermelon and he's just staring at them where and his head is where the watermelon was, and then his eyes go into the back of the head and he's like. Eah! Uh, and it's, and then he's just saying things that do not make sense. Uh, but I digress the ending scene where she goes up to the house and gorgeous is in this great kimono and she opens the sliding doors that all Japanese people have at their house. And it's just Mm -hmm. this great sequence. And it feels very dreamlike, especially because you're having Ryoko with her windswept scarf and hair. And they take, they seat next to each other. They hold each other's hands, um, and you almost get like this mother-daughter bonding moment. And then, of course, Gorgeous has one of my favorite lines in the film, which is, uh, "My friends are asleep. They'll be awake soon because they'll be hungry. They wake when they're hungry." And of course, mm-hmm. we know what's going to happen there. And then, their whole and, and while they're shaking hands, I believe Blanche just runs across the street screen. And to me, yeah. that was a great, that was like an every paint, every frame of painting moment. That was really great. And then the film, and then gorgeous uh, gestures, and then Ryoko lights on fire, and this, and this, and like this very unrealistic effect, but that's deliberately done. And that's, and that's sort of the end of the film. And then you get like this, and then you get like this weird, like post epilogue sequence where it's just gorgeous. Uh, looking at the camera and they're talking about love i don't know what that was about i mean like i get what that was about but yeah one thing that i really don't like even watching this movie multiple times my biggest problem is that the movie feels like it ends three times i was going i was going to say the same thing the movie has like three different endings which uh 
I thought it was a symptom of the modern film, but apparently not because when fantasy is being caressed by who she thinks is gorgeous, but it's actually demon, then the film ends, and then you get that nice epilogue sequence that I like, and then it and then it ends, and then you get like this shot of gorgeous for like a minute with a monologue about love, and then the film ends for the third time. Yeah. I didn't mind that particularly because and I and I know why those stuff why those things are done. And it's because I should they have picked one ending yet? I I really don't think that last portion is really needed. I really like that last scene. I wish it was the last scene of the film. Mm-hmm. Um but I understand like they there were some things they wanted to wrap up. I don't know. This whenever there's a film and people say there's too many endings, I typically am not as like disheartened as other people are about it because sometimes I feel it's okay if a film okay. has a few different endings. But I will agree that like this film it, it it should have been a bit more decisive. Yeah. There's just a few things that I wanna just quickly highlight because I think they're so cool. So at the end well near the end of the movie there's prof fantasy and um Prof Fantasy and um, Kung Fu left. And then in this weird weird style, like, Gorgeous's head comes, and it's so huge, and she comes on the screen, and then she's, like, explaining how she's in, like, her auntie's demon world or whatever, mm-hmm. and yada, yada, yada. And then Prof finds out that the cat is kind of behind it also. Then Kung Fu goes and, like, kicks this painting of Blanche, and then it the painting like morphs and becomes grotesque and then it starts like just spitting out like blood and then the floorboards in the room separate and they're actually in like this lake of blood now Uh and that's like the craziest set piece that they use and it's so cool and then they're just floating on the floorboards in the in the room and one thing that I think will throw a lot of people off when they watch this movie is that the effects look bad but it's deliberate yes it's an effects heavy film and like for example uh yes and and i guess it's deliberate in the sense that they want it to be fantastical they don't want it to be true to life and and because like it's inspired by mainly his young daughter so he also wants it to be like childlike Normally that excuse like wouldn't fly for me, but the effects are done well enough that I don't, I wasn't, there was the only point in the film where I was thinking like maybe these effects could be better was whenever they have to use like a green screen, mm-hmm. like when, when fantasy gets bit by Mac or when Melody's fingers become severed and she's still playing the piano. Those are, that's like yeah. really small, but like the green screen effect there was not like the best. But the eff- yeah. but there's so many good effects in the film done so well that like that's really excusable for me. That was the only that was the only thing I had an issue with effects wise because yes, this film is meant to be uh, he uh, supposedly deliberately they very deliberately did not have any realistic effects in the film. And, like, this movie, I I can't go over, like, every single effect, and I wish I could, but, like, truly, they do it 
Like they do it all in this movie. Maybe one day we'll do a we'll do a cop direct uh, commentary, not director's commentary, because we're not the director. Yeah, we could do that. I would I would like to do a commentary on this film. It's very good. Like they have like collages where it's like these cool paintings. Like there's this one really nice shot of Kung Fu's head. And it's just over top of like this painting of all of these blue faces that are looking at you. Mm-hmm. They do that. They have like stop motion parts. Like the watermelon guy d- dies because um, Mr. Togo goes there and he's like, do you like watermelons? And he's like, no, I like bananas. And then he, the watermelon guy just dies. Uh, and how he dies is like he becomes a drawing of a skeleton that just crumbles Mm-hmm. and I don't like they just do so many wacky effects in this movie and one scene like where Melody who's gimmick because she likes instruments and music and whatnot she goes to play the piano and then it like eats her and then we just have like these wacky like starbursts on the screen and then like parts of her body are just floating around yeah and like it's it's cr- some of the effects in this are crazy and and it's really the highlighted film. There are some parts where it was like a bit much, where I was like, "You guys need to tone it down." But that's in the grand scheme of the film, it's fairly minor. And I liked all the editing quite a bit. There's so many good. You're right. There's so many good things, like when Gorgeous gets possessed and they bring her downstairs. She's her. It shows us her perspective, and she's like sort of drunk. Yeah. They take frames out, and and it's a great way of showing that she's in the middle of being possession, or that she's not herself. There's too many things. Mm-hmm. There's too many things like that to highlight. And to me, this is why technically this is it. it it's the technical aspects of the film to me are the, are the are the best part. And and they're even like and kind of the reason that I said you have to watch this movie more than once is that there's so much going on. There's like little things going on in the background too that you'll definitely miss on your first go. Yeah, you'll see the skeleton dancing in the background when Melody's playing. Or when they first enter the uh, kitchen and the auntie says, hello, stove, the stove uh, rattles a little bit and the children do not notice. There's many little tidbits like that throughout the film that'll have you looking in the background and the foreground and such. Uh, So it's definitely a film that lends itself very well to rewatches. And this movie isn't a horror movie. Like, you're not watching Texas Chainsaw Massacre where no. people are getting are screaming and they're getting torn up like you're not going to watch this movie and go to bed looking over your shoulder and under your bed for monsters like it's not that scary it just kind of makes you uneasy watching it yeah the only like the only like the scariest part of the movie for me is a scene where the ant in the background when no one's watching she like crawls into the fridge and then the shot is like kind of from the ceiling of the room and then she like appears she just walks into the frame at the top like she's crawling on the the boards at the top and then she looks straight into the camera and smiles yeah that's like the creepiest thing or there's a scene where like fantasy or gorgeous is taking a bath and then all this hair comes up and like wraps around her body mm-hmm yeah those are like the scariest parts but other than that it's not 
really scary. One thing that you talked about that I wanted to ask you about is this movie also kind of has like a Lolita thing going on. Yeah, like you get and 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 I think that plays into the useful theme. It's like, <laughs> by Lolita, do you mean like because there's sometimes they get naked? That and like um, fantasies, uh, fantasy with Mister Togo. Yeah, well, okay. So the thing with Mister Togo is that um, fantasy just loves Mister Togo and. And I, and I hate to stereotype, but I'm really it really makes me think of like this senpai notice me meme, uh, and I'm and 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 I know that's like a staple of Japanese culture, like to a degree, which is like the admiration for the teacher or the authority figure. So that kind of made sense from what I know about Japanese culture. Mm-hmm. And like Mr. Togo doesn't reciprocate. Like he's not a. I don't think he's a pervert. He's just like trying to he's just trying to be like the guidance he's just trying to be like the sh- chaperone for the girls basically i don't think like mm-hmm. i don't think he's like uh you know i don't think he he's preying on them or anything but i actually we should comment on the nudity on the film which initially was uncomfortable for me but you know what especially because given that the film has these tones of youthfulness it's almost like a as weird as it sounds it's almost like a celebration of of like the of the young person's body and i know that sounds mm-hmm. really weird but i think that was done on purpose you get a like you see like three or four of the girls like on in, in various states of undress or naked um but it and i guess i you like it, it done in 2020 that would be very problematic i suppose but in the context of the film it works fairly well and i think it's something that doesn't need to be necessarily like uh, it's, it's not something that I wish was removed from the film. It, it, the way that they use it in this movie is different than like a Western movie would. It's like, not, it's not in, as exploitative. Like when you see in Nightmare, like when Tina and whatever are having sex and then they're naked. It's that is like that to me feels really like this is for a titillation, as they say. But for this, I it doesn't feel that way. Yeah, like it's nothing in it is like flattering. Like there's this one scene where, um, uh, gorgeous is taking a bath and then she steps up or whatever and she's naked and it's like, yeah, people are naked when they have a bath and they're not like, like in a western movie, or a stereotypical western movie they would like step out of the bath with their like back arched and then they would like cover their chest and yada 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 and then this movie it's just like yeah she's naked that's that's it yeah yeah um but yeah that that i don't i don't have much of a problem with it either in this movie no and uh i overall like it's an excellent experience i don't know if you do you have anything else you'd like to say about the film well, the only other thing that I would add is, like, you can look at... The great thing about this movie is you can look at it and admire it from so many ways. And one of them... One of those ways that I looked at it when I first saw it was was kind of like a story of how grief and being unable to move on can literally... Or, I mean, metaphorically, eat you alive. Mm-hmm. And, and that's, like... With Gorgeous, she can't move on from her mother's death, so she goes 
to visit her auntie, and then the auntie can't move on from her husband's death, so she becomes this demon, and then Gorgeous also becomes this demon because of that. Uh-huh. I like I like that aspect of the movie too, but yeah, that's that's pretty much it. Yeah, it's a it's a really well done package for me. This is a probably one of the more this is definitely one of the better films we have reviewed. Do you want to go first with bags, or do you have anything else you'd like to wrap up? No, that was pretty much it. I mean, I, the big thing is like the ending. Oh, like even though I've seen this movie multiple times, I know the ending always surprises me. I'm like, oh yeah, there's two other endings after this yeah yeah um and i do agree that in some scenes like even though i do love it the the editing or the effects can overpower the senses yeah like it's not in the it's not in this like yeah like that's probably the best way it sometimes it feels like an assault on the senses where like I, I wouldn't even I wouldn't show this to an epileptic person because there's a lot of cuts in some of these scenes. Yeah, I would I would love to know how many different shots are used in this movie. Yeah, like this movie, I feel like this this is the type of film that would have been very expensive. And so yeah, supposedly when it came out, it was a big commercial success. Uh, critics didn't really like it very much. Um, at the time, but let me see if I can find the budget here. There's no budget. I mean, even now, it's it's still fairly underground. Like, on Rotten Tomatoes, it has 29 critic scores or whatever, and 3,000 audience scores. It's not a whole lot. No, not a lot. Not a lot of people know about this film. This is de- this definitely fits the, uh, the criteria for a uh, cult film, I would say. Like all the movies we've picked. Yeah. Well, you know... Uh, no. Anyways, I will easily and gladly give this movie nine bags. Nine bags out of ten. You've only given that to one other film. Eraserhead, yeah. Eraserhead. Uh, if I have to give this bags, I'm gonna give it four bags out of five. It's the classic. The cla. It's really not that classic. I've done that like three times before, and we've reviewed like fifteen films. Um. It's, it, well, this it's is a, actually your six, five, four bags. Well, I uh, well, it's maybe my fifth. <laughs> you know what? This is a big four bags. Um, it this is like this is this is probably as close as four bags gets to five bags. Just a few things here and there that really prevent this from being an, a clean five bagger like Dawn of the Dead and Reanimator. But I, mm-hmm. I will say that this is a good film. I definitely recommend it. Rewatch it a couple of times. Watch it like every six months or maybe every year. And that'll probably be the best way. You should forget some things about it. And then it'll be nice to revisit. Mm-hmm. Did you, um, did you watch the trailer that came with the uh, Blu-ray? No, I, th- I think I watched the trailer the first time I watched it. But I didn't watch it um, this time, no. Uh, it, the trailer, if you watch this movie, just watch this trailer beforehand and you'll get a good gist of the movie. I've, I've, from what I've read, apparently the trailer is very crazy too. Yeah, it just takes like a lot of the crazy, I mean there's a lot of crazy to take from the movie, but they take quite a bit of the crazy scenes and just make a trailer out of it. Mm-hmm. I don't know, it's it's cool. Um, so next week we are doing Reefer Madness. 
Reefer, oh yeah. And for no particular reason, we just thought it would be a good day to pick that movie. Uh, it'll come out April 20th? Yeah. Uh, and I'd like to I'd like to say that, you know what, um, we'd like to pay our respects to the to the families at Columbine, and this is the anniversary of Columbine, and uh, it's also the birthday. Is that? Yeah, it is, and it's also the Hitler's birthday. We don't condone his actions anyway. He was a pretty bad guy. Uh, Why are you saying it like it's a joke? It's not a joke. I'm not. What are you talking about? I just say I don't like Hitler. You think I like? <laughs> you, you think I like Hitler? I don't, but just the way that you phrase it made it sound like it was a joke. No, I, not everything on the show is a joke, okay? You know, he was a bad okay. guy. Okay, I'm just saying the two events that April 20th are known for, and that's it. Yeah, and the movie has no correlation to either. Uh, yeah, and uh, I'm going to be starting some new medication soon, so if I act weird on that episode, it's... Uh... <laughs> You know, just take it as side effects. I'm just, I got this acne cream and it, it gets into your pores and it, uh, you know, you know how it is. Um, what did you want to do after that? What are we doing after that? Yeah. Uh, all right, hold on a second. Let me check this. Just give me a minute. Okay. All right, we're going to do... We're going to do, uh, is Halloween a cult movie, truly? Oh, hell yeah, I'd say so. All right, let me control F, uh, cult on the Wikipedia here. We're not, well, we're not going to do Halloween now. We're going to wait. Yeah, I would like to wait. And we had, like, a plan for October to do, like, classic horror monsters i would like to do like three classics and then like one new classic like a halloween or alien or something yeah that works oh. do i have to pick right now yeah we're we're rolling oh christ all right uh <laughs> shit no way no way buddy you know what do you want okay? Do you want a traditional pick or do you want a left field pick? Whichever pick. Pick one. Um, if if I agree to it, left field. Okay, we're gonna do um, the gods must be crazy. Oh yeah, we can do that for sure. Okay, this one is uh, we're 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 throwing it back to Africa. We went <laughs> we went there for who killed Captain Alex. We're going back, this time to South Africa. I mean, we should probably do that as much as we can about for the show, because, like, truth be told, all of, like, North America and us included know shit about foreign movies. Yeah, like, I mean, of the foreign movies, this is, what, our second or third? Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, we, of course, like, we're going to be doing more Western films, because that's what we know. But mm -hmm. uh, you're right. We, we'll try to expand our... Horizons. If you guys have suggestions, send them in. We're not doing. Um, don't ask us to do uh, any Star Trek films because those aren't cult films. 
They are. We have one more to do next month for Sci-Fi Month, and then that's it. Yeah, except for that, except for Wrath of Khan, they're not. It's cult films, so we're not doing them. Uh, maybe if you really beg, we'll do 09, because that one is cool. <laughs> the Cool Man Star Trek. Um, I don't know. It's just awesome. It's epic. It is epic. If I had to describe in two words, uh, awesome sauce. <laughs> After the snow melts, I want to do dazed and confused. That's my only suggestion. Af- right After now. the snow melts, that's a nice June pick, but we can do it sooner than that. Yeah, well, no, because we have we have uh, reefer madness, then uh, the gods must be crazy, and then we're in May for sci-fi. So yeah, okay. first week of June we'll do uh, dazed and confused. Okay, for sci-fi month, I want to do. I don't. I don't. You can pick a lot of them. I want to do Barbarella. Uh, I think sure. that's on the list. I'd like to do Barbarella. Yeah, I think so too. I don't think it's very well received, which is kind of enticing to me. <laughs> but, all right. Look, we've been pretty nice to ourselves. We, well, actually, no, we haven't. Well, we've been kind we, of nice. Like, half the films we review are good. The other half are shit. It's like, okay. Like, let's see this. Let me go to... Let me... Okay. Uh... Night of the Living Dead, good. Holiday Special, shit. Silent Night, shit. Edward is good. A Razorhead, a Cafe, Office Space, Princess... Oh, these are pretty good, actually. <laughs> well, Mommy Dearest was pretty shit. Clerks, I didn't really like very much. Uh, Super Mario Bros. was, you know... Anyway, it, it is what it is. <laughs> I guess... Over- you gave it a pass. It is a pass. It, but, but, like, it is what it is, as well. Okay. Yeah, I guess you're right. We'll do some... <laughs> it's just hard to, you know, watch a two-hour bad movie and then talk about <laughs> that for an hour and a half. You think yeah. that's easy, guys? It's not. <laughs> um, yeah, I guess that just about does it. Yeah, okay. All right. So, good luck with your new medication next week. Yeah, well, you guys will see. I'll let you get, no, guys know what it's like and... Uh... Yeah. I think I also have a, a scheduled new medication next week, too. Oh, yeah? Or something. There's something happening. Maybe I'll be really tired that you, I don't know. Uh, oh, no. This dude's predicting his uh, own headache right here. <laughs> um. So, yeah. Stay safe. Um, Godspeed. Pray to the god. The gods must be crazy to keep these renovations going for so long. Pray to the gods to end this so we can go back to the studio so everybody God. so everybody can go back to the to McDonald's you know we have to get back yeah. all right uh, I, I miss I miss the studio I won't lie. I miss the studio too and like I I'll, I'll say this there's a little bit of chemistry that you lose over the over the air because you don't get that cue. That you do when you have them in person, but we're we're making do and we're doing the best we have we can. Yeah, and like we can't do clips or anything. This this sucks. But you know what? This is the worst, and I'm gonna make the worst of it. All right. Well. Okay. This sucks, and it's never gonna get fixed. All right. Well, I don't. Yeah. You know, okay. <laughs> and I hate it. Yeah. All right. <laughs> All right. All right. Okay.
I see how it is. Uh, okay, well, uh, take take care. Take care. Next week, Reefer Madness. Week after that, Gods Must Be Crazy. Then we're hitting Sci-Fi Month. It's going to be cool. It's going to be fresh. Yep. And we are going to have fun. Correct. All right. Well, that's all I have to say. Toodaloo. Bye-bye.